Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the Porch Community Church. My name is Shannon. and I get to be the lead pastor here, and it is a great privilege. Uh, if you're a first-timer, a special, welcome to you. We're really glad that you chose to be here today, and uh, we just want you to know that there's a God who loves you, and he desires to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ. That's why we exist as a church. That's why we do what we do. And I'm um, just that we're really glad that you're here. And as you heard in the announcement video from Tinley, uh, we have a first-timers desk in the lobby, so I'd love for you to come by there after the service and say hello. We just want to say hi to you. We have a gift for you we want to give to you. Um, one other thing I want to mention, which was also in the video, but sometimes we need, anyone else ever need reminders of reminders? So, um, yeah. Uh, but this coming Wednesday is something that some of you may be familiar with and others, you, others of you may not, but we're starting the season of Lent, which is the 40 days leading up to Easter. And it's like this, this preparing ourselves, preparing our heart for what Easter brings. And it starts with Ash Wednesday. It's the Wednesday that begins this season. And we're going to be out in front of Just Love Coffee on Wednesday morning between 7.30 and 1. And I keep wanting to say we're going to do drive-by ashes, but that would not be right like a... Like a like a, like a paintball gun with ashes, and I'm, that would drive through ashes. So you can drive through the parking lot there. Uh, we'll pray with you, uh, put ashes on your forehead as we begin the, the, the week. And then that night, Wednesday night, here in the auditorium at 6 o'clock, we're having our first Ash Wednesday service here. and It'll be a beautiful uh, time um, to just prepare ourselves and go forward. If you're wondering what in the world Ash Wednesday is, I encourage you to tomorrow pay attention to our social media and our website because we're going to give a nice little explanation of, of what it is and where we're going. So I hope that you'll pay attention to that. Um, before we jump into today's message, I want to do something I love to do, and that is to welcome people into partnership and ministry. So I ask my friend Bob Rice if he'll come up here. Of course, you had to sit on the back row, dude. Um, so that's, you know, that's the way that is. But um, as I'm trying to think of, so the weather was good today. Um, it's kind of cool. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, one of the things that we love to do is to welcome people into the ministry of the church. And um, when I say he's partnering in ministry, that might be one of those kind of words that you hear. Um, you go, what does that mean? Well, in other places, they might call it membership or joining the church. But we want folks to partner in ministry here. It's a mindset. It's the way we want to think about how we're doing what we're doing. And so um, Bob has come, and he's, he's been here for several weeks now and been a part and, and been around. And um, we have two questions that we ask of folks when they want to partner in ministry. And the first one is the most important one, and it's, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Yes, so you saw the yes, yeah. And so with that, then we say, okay, as a follower of Jesus, partnering in ministry here, will you be here? Will you, will you help? Will you offer your gifts, your talents, your abilities? Will you pray for the church? Will you be a light in the community for Jesus Christ? Will you do that? Will you guys welcome Bob into our ministry today as a partner in ministry? So very excited for you, friend. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, okay, here's where I want to start this morning. I have, I have a goal for today, and my goal is this, is that by the end of the service, I don't, uh, I don't know how many of you played sports, or you've got your favorite number, or whatever it is, but by the end of today's message, before you leave here, the number 25 
will be the most important number in your life. The number 25 will be the most important. It'll be your favorite number from here forward, the number 25, okay? Are you a little intrigued, maybe? Yeah, now, nah, whatever, move along, Shannon. Um, okay, so that's where, I want, that's where I want us to go. Here's the two places we're gonna be in scripture today. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter 22, and we're gonna be in Romans 7. Matthew 22 and Romans 7. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. I know uh, we wanna follow along in that and read that. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. It'll be up on the screens, but Matthew 22 and Romans 7. Now, where I want us to start today, we're in this, uh, we're concluding this series called I Heart. And we've talked about the things that we love. We talked about loving our community. We talked about loving our church. Last week, Justin talked to you about loving your people. And, and he was really challenging message to take us from not just the people that we really, 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 really like, you know, the, it, the people that are easy to love and the people that are easy to like, but to think beyond that and, and to think about how we can love others and, and really be open to, to receiving people in, you know. Uh, we need to be able to do this. And so... The challenge was there, and today, as we finish up, we're going to talk about something that you might go, well, kind of like, no duh, but it's that we should love God, <laughs> that we love God. I heart God. I love God. Now, Jesus was teaching, and he was doing his ministry while he was here on earth, and there, was, um, uh, there were religious leaders that really just they couldn't stand the guy. <laughs> to be honest, and, and so they were constantly looking for ways. They did not recognize him as Messiah, uh, even though he was performing miracles and doing amazing things. They refused to see him as anything other than, they even, they even like told him that they thought he was, he was a demon, like he was like with the enemy, you know, doing things, and, and so he was teaching and preaching, and these people, these religious leaders that did not recognize him as Messiah, son of God, were plotting to, you know, discredit him, you know, give him a bad reputation, at, you know, at the least, or get him arrested, maybe even get him, you know, like killed for his blasphemous things that they thought he was saying. And so they decided to trip him up, right? Well, in the Jewish law, there was at least, we know, about 600 plus laws, 600 laws that if you were a faithful religious person you followed these laws and they thought okay here's the deal we're going to really we're going to get him we're going to trap him we're in the public while he's preaching we're going to ask him of all these 600 plus laws which one is the most important because they knew it would stump him he wouldn't be able to answer it he'd have to think about it whatever he said they would come back with well what about this law you know they were ready to get him and so they ask him this, and Jesus responds to them in Matthew 22, verse 37. When they say which law is most important, his response to them is a passage that we've even talked about here before, we've preached on this before, you've maybe read it before, but his response to what's most important, he said, Matthew 22, 37, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He was actually quoting a, an Old Testament passage that these religious leaders knew. They had heard this. They understood this. This was one of the 600 plus laws. And this was immediate response that Jesus had when they were trying to trip him up. He's like, no, no. The most important commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, in the Greek, the word heart 
means cardia. It's where we get our word for cardio, you know, all that. And what it meant, the, the translation of this word cardia, means the central or inmost part. So when Jesus is saying to love the Lord your God with all your heart, he's not necessarily talking about the organ that's you know, doing its job right now inside of each and every one of us. He's talking about the central or inmost part of who you are. Love the Lord your God the central most inmost part you know we might say with our gut you know with with everything within me you know those kinds of phrases we use now the word soul in the greek is you see it there and you might think oh well that says psyche it's it's pronounced suhe in the greek but it's where we get this word and it means the seat of the of our feelings the place of where our desires come from of our affections those things that we really like or dislike or crave or want that's what it means by loving the Lord your God with all your soul. It means that place where our feelings and desires are. And then to love the Lord your God with all our mind, it, we get this word dionia. Dionia. That's the Greek word. And what it means, it means the place of understanding. So Jesus said that the greatest commandment, the most important commandment, is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with the central inmost part of who you are, that you would love God with all your soul, with, the, with your feelings and your affections, and that you would love God with all your mind, with your understanding. And I want to confess to you that I don't do this very well. I mean, let's just, I mean, as we look at this and we look what the words really mean, because if I were to say, hey, who loves God? You know, everyone's raising their hand. Yeah, I love God. I love God. But then when we read it and we read the translation of the actual words that are used, we find, whoa, am I really doing this? Am I really loving God with all my heart? Like, with the innermost being of who I am? Am I really loving God with all my soul, with where my affections and my desires lie, and all my mind? Is it happening? I don't do this as well as I think I probably should. I, I'm consistently aware of like God's, um, you know, prime position. He, he's there. He's He is God. He is Maker of all things. But I am I'm ashamed to say, guys, that I my heart and my soul and my mind are a jumble often of of thoughts and appetites and purposes and endeavors that actually take God from His prime position and put Him. I don't know, last place? <laughs> Further back? Is, is anyone, does this make sense? Does anyone else ever feel this way? Like, does this, do you understand what I'm saying here? Like, like I, I want to do and think and feel the things of God, like this commandment says. I want God to be first, but I, but I somehow messed that up. We've got a puppy in our family now. Her name's Poppy. Um, she's chewing everything. Everything. Including sticks. And um, two Sundays ago, she got a hold of one of Drew's shoes. And it was in the morning. I get up, I make my tea, I have my toast, I sit there, and I'm working, looking over the message one more time. And she gets it, and, and I get it from her right away, and I'm like, no, 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 bad dog, no, no. And she knows, like, the ears droop, right? And she has the big, you know, big brown puppy eyes, you know. And she knows, she knows bad girl. She knows bad dog because of all the other things she's chewed previously. 
I mean, this is not, she's not a novice. She's a professional chewer. And, I mean, she's, she's gotten, you know, other, other shoes that she's ruined and, you know, pillows like couch pillows and blankets and Mallory's tights and, and uh, stuffed animals and socks and um, the legs of the ottoman and, you know, the worst, according to Drew, the PS4 charging cable. She got a hold of that. And people are like, oh, that's bad. She knows that she shouldn't. She knows bad dog. She knows no, no. She knows it. And so I scold her for getting the shoe, and she drops her eyes, and she does the brown eye, you know, the puppy dog eyes at me, you know. And then as soon as I look away, what does she do? <laughs> she grabs Drew, uh, his other shoe, and she darts out the back door and runs into the backyard. And we have a really deep backyard. She runs out the deck and down the stairs and way to the back and so it's like Sunday morning, you know, I'm like, I hope no neighbors are out here. You know, I'm like, puppy, you know, I'm yelling at her and I'm like, no. And she's out there with like a size 13 in her mouth and she's like, because she knows you can't get me. So That's also how I dance. So if you're wondering. She knows it's wrong. She knows it's wrong. And so I just, but it's so fun. I love shoes. I want to chew this up. And you can't get me. And that's what I do. In my faith journey, I do this. This is what I do. Like, I know that I should love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, that I shouldn't do or think or say certain things, but it is so fun. And I believe that this is why Paul wrote something in Romans chapter 7. This is one of my go-to passages of Scripture. I use this a lot when I'm talking with people, when I'm counseling people. Um, the first time I read it as a, as a believer... <laughs> Um, I was absolutely floored that I was reading this in the Bible of all things. I, I really could not, I was like, how in the world is this in the Bible? Because what I'm about to read to you, it, it was in my mind, it was me. It described me like I felt like someone had gotten a hold of my journal or something. And it's like, here it is. And, 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 and we find it in Scripture. And Paul writes in Romans 7, um, beginning in verse 15, he says this. And let's keep in mind who wrote this again. Paul, the apostle Paul, the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament Paul, the guy who knows so much. At, at this point, is probably the most knowledgeable person of the things of God, of anyone that's on the planet. Paul, he writes this. And he says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. He says, but if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree the law is good. It's like he, he's saying that I, I know that God's law is good because there it is and I know what I should do, but I'm not doing it. He says this, uh, verse 17, So I am not the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. He's recognizing his sin nature, his propensity to, to do things that he doesn't want to do. 
And then he says, oh, and I know, verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me. Are you kidding me? Remember again who wrote this? Paul. And he's saying that nothing good lives in him. And he says, that is in my sinful nature. He goes, I want to do right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. So he's recognizing this, this battle going on. Verse 21, I have discovered, Paul writes this, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. And he says, I love God's law with all my heart, with the inmost inner part of who I am, the cardia. He says, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind, Dionia. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Is Paul reading your mind right now like he did mine? Like, does this make sense to you? Are you does, this, does this register with some of you? This, this, this struggle, this battle that Paul is describing here. Now, I want, us, I want to, to look at something. I want us to reread a, a few verses before we look at, at kind of the conclusion that Paul comes to. Um, I want to read verses 21 through 23 again because let's remember, first of all, who wrote it. And you think, wow, if Paul's dealing with this, well, then I, there's... Is there any hope for me? But he, he said, I want to read again, verse 21. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God with all my heart. I, I feel this, folks. I, I understand what Paul is saying here. I love God, but I do wrong. I love God, but often I'm not loving towards people. I, I love God and I know his word brings truth and power and promise and yet sometimes I really don't even want to read it. I love God and I know that prayer is the, the, the most beautiful way in which to communicate with God and, and I just don't do it. He says in verse 23, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. And then he asks this profound question, verse 24. He asks the most profound question that I think every human being who has ever drawn breath on this earth has asked this question in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not exactly like this, but I think that most people when they really take just a little bit of time to examine their lives and their heart and who they are and what their purposes might be, that they ask this question. He says in verse, first he makes kind of a statement in verse 24. Based on he wants to do good, but he can't, he tries, and he just is always messing up. He says this, oh, what a miserable person I am. You ever felt that way before? 
What a misery. Yeah, like that. I get it. I get it, baby. Oh, what a miserable person I am. It's real. And then he asks the question. He makes a statement. Oh, I'm miserable. And then he asks this question. Who? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Who? Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life dominated by sin when I want to do good but I don't? I try to avoid doing wrong, but I end up doing it anyway. Who will rescue me? Miserable, Paul calls himself. Miserable. Now, you probably are not going to be able to relate to what I'm about to say, but just kind of, just, you know, humor me for a moment. There's this physical thing that happens to some people if they've had too much to drink, and it's called a hangover. (laughs) <laughs> can I laugh at that? I don't know if I can laugh. You can laugh at it. Usually occurs on Saturday and Sunday mornings, sometimes other days of the week. Dehydration, uh, headache, nausea, dizziness. These are some of the symptoms of a hangover. Now, I know you're not real clear on what I mean. Just, again, follow with me. But I just want to tell you that this hangover can be described as misery a person dealing with a hangover will ask things like why did I drink so much where is my left shoe why do I only have one contact in my eye and then there's a declaration usually followed I will never ever ever drink again misery miserable the body is in misery and until the alcohol works out the system and the body's rehydrated again it's a hangover and it's miserable And Paul describes himself as someone who doesn't want to do wrong, who doesn't want to make a bad decision, but inevitably he does. And he, folks, is having a spiritual hangover. He's in misery. He's miserable. I want to do what's right, but I don't. I'm never, ever, ever going to do that again. And then Friday rolls around, and he's wondering where his left sandal is. What did I tell you my goal was for today? 25. Want this number to be your new favorite number. And here's why. Because Paul asks this profound, profound, he makes a very profound statement, and then he asks an even more profound question in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, that most of us have asked at some point in our lives, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life? Who? Misery. 
Who will free me? Who will save me from myself? Who? From my heart, from my soul, from my mind that betray me constantly. Who is going to free me from this? Who? And then he writes in verse 25. Verse 25. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 7 verse 25. Who saves Paul from himself? Paul doesn't save himself from himself. Paul doesn't go and memorize more stuff. And, and Paul doesn't you know, give up 500 things for Lent. Paul doesn't save him from himself. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. Who saves you? You don't save you. You don't try harder and harder and harder and continue in misery. Who saves me? I don't save me. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. See, friends, there's so many people, maybe even you today, you find yourself in a verse 24 kind of life. Oh, I'm miserable. I'm miserable. I want to do what is right, but I keep doing what is wrong. I want to do what is, I, I don't want to do that anymore, but I keep doing it. Miserable. And you're in a spiritual hangover. See, notice Paul was a follower of Jesus, and he's having this dilemma. So many of us find ourselves in verse 24 just miserable with our life, with our choices, with our decisions, with our actions, and they leave us with this spiritual hangover. We find ourselves in like a, like a perpetual mode of just regret. Misery, why? Well, here's why. Here's why we feel this. Why do we feel this spiritual hangover? Why did Paul feel miserable? Why was this such a battle? Because Paul... And you and me, we were created to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And when we don't, we feel it. When we're not pursuing it, we feel it. It's like, it's like we've had too much of something that's not good for us, and it gets in our system. spiritual hangover we were created to love the Lord our God with all our heart all our soul and all our mind and Jesus tells us this is the greatest commandment this is the most important this is it you love God and some of you may be spiritually hung over today miserable and you might think you might be tempted to think because this has been going on for such a period of time that this is just the way your spiritual journey is going to be. That it's just going to be a verse 24 kind of existence. That you're just going to always be aware that you don't want to do it and you still do it. And you find yourself going, I get what you're saying, Paul. I understand that misery get it and there's so many people followers of Jesus Christians 
who are living in verse 24. But I'm, I'm here, I want to share with you that there is one who stands in our place. There is one who takes on the ultimate misery. There is one who takes on the ultimate shame upon himself. The one who takes on the ultimate loss that we often feel. And that person is Jesus Christ. Thank God the person is Jesus Christ. And so when you wonder if, if misery, if a miserable life, if this spiritual hangover is all that's in store for you, because you might be just sitting here going, yep, you're pretty much describing what it's been like, Shannon. This has been it. We find these words, verse 25. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ the Lord. See, I love God because he first loved me. We love God because he loved us first. He, he created us. He gave us life. We love God because he loved us so much that he gave us his son so that we don't have to remain in misery. We, I love God because I was created to love him and anything else. Anytime I put anything else above that, it's meaningless. It's misery. I was trying to think about how to sum up why it is that we should love God why I mean, we're talking about I heart things I love things why should we love God because you know what I, I look in this room and I can see there's, a, there's so many of you and, and I know that there are circumstances and situations that have happened in your life that are happening right now in your life and you might be tempted to say why should I love God Why should we love God? Because he didn't leave us in verse 24. He didn't leave us at the place where we just go, what a miserable person I am. I try to do good and I can't. I don't want to do bad and I do it. Over and over and over again. He doesn't leave us in verse 24. Why should we love God? Because he gives us verse 25. Jesus Christ. He gives us Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to stay in our miserable, sin-ravaged lives. He made a new way with Jesus. And so you might be thinking, well, yeah, but Shannon, Paul knew the new way with Jesus, and yet he's still dealing with this. Yep. So am I. So are you. As we start this season of Lent, as we prepare ourselves for the really great celebration of the risen Christ, of the empty tomb that comes on Easter, on that journey, we have to walk through Good Friday. We have to walk through the hill. We have to walk through and by the cross. Before we can get to Easter, we've got to be reminded of what God has done for us through Christ Jesus. 
in order for us to live out the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Folks, we need verse 25. We need verse 25. We need Jesus to rescue us from, from a miserable life. And here's the kicker. And this is what I think Paul understood, and which is why he wrote it and why it's recorded in the Bible for us to read. We need Jesus. Are you ready? Every single day. Because you might be tempted to go, but I, I raised my hand that one time when I was nine. I walked down the aisle. I filled out the card. I did the confirmation class. I did the things. Why am I so miserable? That's exactly what Paul was saying. I know all the laws. I've done all the schooling. I've done all the things. I've said them all. I even had a, a, an epiphany moment. My eyes were open with Jesus on the, on the road to Emmaus. Why am I so miserable? The answer is Jesus. And we need him every single day without them spiritual hangover we need them every single day so I'll end with the words of Paul thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord would you pray with me Father, you know what was in my heart as I was working on this message. And I wanted so to just list these wonderful, beautiful, amazing things about why I should love you, why we should love you. And, and those are all there. It's not like I couldn't find them. But as I tried to do that, I was just perpetually hit and reminded with, with the roadblock of me. With the, with the reality of, of how I get in the way. And, and I just, I'm just going to assume here, and I don't think it's that great of a leap, that that's how a lot of people are feeling in, in here this morning. They just feel spiritually hungover. They find themselves like consistently going, dang it, I didn't want to do that, and I did. I want to do these great things for you, God, and, and I, want to, I want to put you first, and, and I end up putting myself first, and oh, misery. So God, I believe we needed this moment together today that before we could just shout out, I love you, God, and mean it, we had to, we had to be reminded and realize of the the spiritual hangover so many of us are dealing with. So God, I pray that the, 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 the prayer of your people this morning, especially in these next few moments, would be of surrender, would be verse 25, would be declarations of, first of all, saying, yep, I'm miserable. Yep, apart from God, I'm miserable. And then declaring thanks to you for Jesus Christ and then we would do the same thing tomorrow <laughs> same thing Tuesday and on and on and on we need you desperately Lord God thank you for not leaving us 
at 24. We thank you for 25. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.